and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intracasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor, go give us a great rating on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. Seriously, if you've been listening for free, this is an awesome way to help the show grow. In fact, I've been giving shout-outs to people who leave us a five-star review on iTunes. I will read your review verbatim. Make me say anything you want, but keep it clean, people. This is a family D&D news podcast. Okay, everybody, today's review is an exciting one. It comes from the one and only Padraig the Bard. So, Padraig, uh, this is for you. Uh, It is called I Will Roll the Dice. And it is to be sung to the tune of Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive. So, Padraig, thank you for this. And all listeners can thank Padraig for the experience you're about to have. Like a Medusa's gaze, I was petrified. Thinking I can't find the nerd news even if I tried. I spend so many hours of my life looking for a home. I'm not alone. That's when I learned about the tome. It's a show, but so much more. You just subscribe. Your friends are here with knowledge of the lore. You don't need to pick the lock. You don't need a stupid key. You just download an episode, and the whole thing is for free. Download, download. Download some more. Just listen now, cause... There's always something more. You get advice and interviews and all the RPG news. Isn't it wonderful? I no longer have the blues, so finally I, I will roll the dice. As long as I know all the rules and heed the great advice, I've got all my life to play and a place where masters slay. I'll roll the dice. I will roll the dice. Hey, hey. It's the Tome Show. It's not just one. Thanks to Jeff and all his pals, all the shows on here are fun. I spend all my long commutes learning about my favorite game. I just drive with D&D back in my life. So thank the Tome and the Ball of Hosts by leaving them a great review in a simple little post. And if you want to support the show, the Amazon links the way. Or you can donate money or just let Noble Knight pay. Download, download. Download some more. Just listen now, cause there's always something more. You get advice and interviews and all the RPG news. Isn't it wonderful? I no longer have the blues, so finally I... I will roll the dice As long as I know all the rules and heed all the great advice I've got all my life to play And a place where masters slay I will roll the dice I will roll the dice Hey, hey Boop, 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 All right, Patrick the Bard, the gauntlet has been thrown for uh, most ridiculous review, certainly. So if anybody can top that, head on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, make me say anything you want. God, that was epic. I apologize to everyone for having to listen to that. Uh, All right. Please use the affiliate links at thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com. There's banners in the show notes for every single episode for both Amazon and the DMs Guild. Just click on those, shop as you normally would, and nothing costs you extra. It throws a few copper pieces into the Tome Show's pouch, helps cover the expenses of the show. Thank you so much for doing that. I'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, OpenGamingStore.com. My product pick from Open Gaming Store for this episode is Southlands Heroes for 5th Edition from Cobalt Press. It is just $3.99 on Open Gaming Store. There is a direct link to it in this episode for the show notes at thetomeshow.com. And our friends at Open Gaming Store have an exclusive deal just for Tome listeners When you check out, enter the coupon code 
Tome Show 2016 to get 10% off now through February. That's Tome Show 2016. And now to tell us all about how much they love Open Gaming Store and what exactly it is all about is a celebrity monster guest. That's right. It's the Flumpf. Hey, how's everybody doing? It's me, the Flumpf. I just wanted to tell you all about OpenGamingStore.com. This where me and my Flumpf buddies get all our awesome gaming supplies. PDF, hardcover books, accessories, cool things for the kids to wear like onesies. You want to buy it right now. Go get some awesome things. You can use your fluffy little tentacles to move things around. You don't even need to leave the Underdark and go to the unsafe surface world because they'll deliver it right to you. OpenGamingStore.com. Tell them the Tom Show sent you. Okay, everybody, today we are talking about Trapdoor Technologies closing their doors, and then we are going to talk about an article from Kotaku about the best Dungeons & Dragons adventures keeping things simple. But first, let's kick things off with our Get to Know You question and meet our panel. Our Get to Know You question this week, what's your favorite voice to do at the table? Dan Dillon, I know you've been hankering to answer this question. <laughs> this is this has been one that you cannot wait to answer. What is your favorite voice to do at the table? Uh gosh. Uh so so I, I tend to use a lot of sound effects and voices and and go a little crazy when I when I role play monsters and such at the table. And I have I have a couple of go-tos that I do. I have uh, one of the one of the PCs I played in a, a previous 3.5 game was actually an ogre in uh, in Rise of the Rune Lords. <laughs> So that was fun, and uh, I had kind of a giant voice. I did this one, oh, and nice. this makes its way back in when I play giants now. Uh, but my favorite has got to be my kobold. My kobolds are my go-to, <laughs> and, and so whatever kobolds or goblins or any tetchy little 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 skeevy bastards come in, it's <laughs> so so I do a lot of that and. Uh, get very enthusiastic, and, and people dig that one, especially when I do uh, crazy little squeaky death throws. <laughs> <laughs> squeaky little death throws. Uh, that is awesome. So uh, I, I love the ogre, and I love the cobalt voice. Those are great. Uh, Ryan Hennessy, you are new to the roundtable. Why don't you tell people out there um, sort of what your experience has been with tabletop RPGs, and then we'll get to your answer to the get-to-know-you question, since this is your first time. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so, I haven't actually been playing or been into tabletop RPGs for very long. Um, I started out in grad school. You know, I moved around a couple of times, and I finally got to a place where life had kind of settled down and decided like, Hey, I'm in a place here and I probably need to make some friends. And I remember having such a fantastic time, you know, in grad school. So decided I wanted to start up a group. So, uh, that was maybe a year ago. And so D and D five E is, is my first experience, uh, GMing a game so that it's been kind of fun. We've been, we've been having a really good time. That's awesome. That's awesome. And what are some of your favorite voices to do at the table as a new DM? Yeah, so um, that's a great question. I really like my group just encountered a, uh, a dwarf wizard who I sort of modeled after a leprechaun. So that was a fun, <laughs> that was kind of a fun one. Oh, I see you came in a little uh, sooner than I expected you to, eh? That kind of a, that kind of a thing going on. Um, I also really like, um, I like trying to communicate subtle things through voices, which is to say like, the tone of someone's voice indicates that they think that they're better than you or something like that. <laughs> so, um, you know, trying to find a way to like look down your nose at someone through your tone of voice, be like, Oh, I see you only have leather armor. Hmm. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's always super fun. It's a, it's a great acting challenge, especially when you're, you know, uh, most, 
GMs don't stand up and like walk around. So you really uh, oftentimes just have your voice and maybe your hands to convey, which I think is uh, a really fun challenge for a lot of people. Uh, also back at the round table is the one and only Teos Abadia. Teos, welcome back. It's great to have you. What is one or more of your favorite <coughs> character voices to do at the table? Uh, hard to say. Thanks for having me back. Um, I, you know, we're all going kind of high pitched squeaking. I think I have to continue that because I used to run this adventure that was uh, from Living Greyhawk, written by the great Eric Mengi, who um, he had all these pixies in it and, and other kind of neat fey. I always loved the reaction of people at the table when you do annoying high pitched pixie voices. <laughs> you're going to have a couple of players who just kind of like lose their minds at, at what you're doing. And that just kind of fuels you all the more, right? Like, you're like, okay, great. You know, because you get a react or like an actual, it's not just a, a, like an acted out reaction. It, it's a true reaction to the voice you're doing. And so just the kind of like, you know, la, 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 hi. You know, that kind of thing, right? Where people are going to just go, are you for real, right? Um, especially when you have a player who's like, you know, I'm not into voices. And so, you, you know, do that as much as possible with them, assuming they're enjoying it. Uh, and that's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a lot of fun. Uh, I do have a question for you because this came up for me the other night. What does a flump sound like? I feel like Ooh. as the foremost expert on the panel, uh, <coughs> y- you know, what does a flump sound like? Lots of fart noises. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a good take. I, you know, I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that, uh, about flump sounds. But, um, you know, a lot of it's telepathic, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and so I kind of think that some sort of, like, hippie type of, of communication <laughs> would be really fitting for them, right? Like, hey, man, I, I, I felt you there. You know, are we, are we on the same vibe? <laughs> I'm, I'm reaching out to your mind. Is that cool? Is that all right? <laughs> <laughs> and then a fart. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, all right. And finally, we have the one and only uh, Skylar Esau with us. Skylar, right, what is your favorite voice to do at the table? My favorite voice to do, I do a bunch of them. I, I'm going to go with, I, I had a, druid voice that i did a while ago that was pretty decent um i don't know if it's my favorite i don't know my my favorite one is whatever one i can do at the time because sometimes <laughs> i can't do them extemporaneously and then other times they just kind of mm-hmm. come together um, i know what you mean yeah for sure <laughs> yeah uh but what was it uh, I don't know how <laughs> there are things with you city rats, but when a druid talks, you'd better listen. Oh. <laughs> That's like a, a real hard ass druid. I some, like it. Some rats were given Darag lip and he wasn't having it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I taught yeah. So that, that Super was Super intimidating. Was, that was a druid voice that I that that I did. Um I, I, I had some other ones too, but some were maybe a little similar to what they were doing. Uh <laughs> Like I do, I usually try to impersonate like a celebrity or a character, but I'm not that great at it. So it ends up coming out as its own (laughs) voice. (laughs) Uh, distinct. (laughs) Uh, My Peter Laurie one is pretty good too. I'm very glad to be here at your show, Mr. Intracasto. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is super, super fun. And I feel like we could spend the whole podcast uh, just doing voices, which would be amazing for me. But uh, but we do have some news. Do you want get... me to do my whole one in like a ridiculous voice? Uh, that's okay. <laughs> Since it's Halloween, I'll do my Whip Ladies Vein voice for the whole rest of the podcast. <laughs> do it. Oh, good lord! <laughs> uh, and I'll be a pixie and I'll sing. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's all do a crazy voice <laughs> podcast. I'll do it. And uh, that was the podcast. No one ever listened to. Right? Again. Yeah, that was right. the. <laughs> 
<laughs> Today we are talking about, uh, we have a lot of news to cover. The first is that Trapdoor Technologies, who made Codename Morningstar, uh, which eventually uh, was uh, was killed. Those were the 5e D&D digital tools. Um, they took that same software and they brought it over to Pathfinder and they were going to make Playbook and bring all the Pathfinder material into there. So Trapdoor Technologies closed their doors. It's sad to see. They were great people. Um, they were making really interesting gaming products and they wanted to bring the world of tabletop gaming more into the future. Uh, this wasn't something I was going to touch on too heavily, but I did want to bring it up because there were several people who asked you know are you going to talk about it on the show and that and that sort of thing so um you know there, there's not too much to say when somebody closes their doors uh except that you're sad to see that people have lost jobs and that somebody who's trying to maybe bring gaming beyond books and tabletop is uh is you know uh no longer working in that capacity uh, so hopefully uh everybody there lands on their feet and uh hopefully they continue to be involved in tabletop games games uh, because they they were a great company with a great mission it does seem like they had some missteps along the way certainly and you know um, there's no accounting for when you get a big contract that you're going to keep it or or, or that sort of thing Uh, but I just wanted to see what do we think about Trapdoor closing their doors Uh, Dan why don't we start with you yeah so I became aware of Trapdoor Technologies back when they first started working with Wizards of the Coast to do 5e digital tools and that of course you know that fell through and they tried to carry it on under a different name but uh so i never really you know they never had it to the point where it was something that i could look at and say yeah i'm gonna use that when it comes out and, and it, it was always a good idea and it looked you know it sounded like they had uh, they had some cool things cooking but but it really never got to the point where it was something that i could grab a hold of uh and, and i'm I'm a little bit more of a Luddite when it comes to running uh, role-playing games. Like, I, I like my, you know, my physical copies of books to, to reference. I usually find that I can get whatever I'm looking for in the time it takes someone to, you know, turn on their tablet and get the right PDF open and then find the right thing. I've already found it and moved on. But I, I love the idea of using some of this stuff to to assist our games and I just haven't found the right tool for me yet. So I was kind of hoping that that would be the one. And, and you know, that fell through. So uh, th- that is a shame. And I didn't follow Playbook itself uh, as I don't regularly play Pathfinder these days. But uh, as you said, I-, I am saddened whenever any sort of gaming industry thing has the bottom drop out from under it. And I hope uh, I hope they get their um, I hope they get their stuff sorted out. Yeah, yeah. This was definitely a shock to me since they had been on just a month before promoting their it, it, Kickstarter. Yeah, it seemed like it came directly out of nowhere. Uh, so that was very abrupt. Yeah, yeah. Teos, uh, how about you? I mean, you've uh, you've seen many iterations of digital tools, you know, since you've been working on Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, what do you think uh, about Trapdoor Technologies closing their doors? Yeah, I feel really bad for them. I I, I had done their I don't know if it was alpha or beta. You know, when they first did the five E tools that they could show off and and uh, and one of my friends was actually part of a earlier closed beta and so I'd seen him do it uh, and they just seemed like they never had the technology right to show off that value um, it, they had problems like with the web platform and they'd sort of give excuses for that but then the iPad looked okay but then there were you know it wasn't there weren't that many features at the beginning of 5e that you had to cover and there were many that weren't yet covered so it always felt shaky mm-hmm. um, and they seem to have this idea of this being a huge thing, that the value proposition was enormous and, and sort of undeniable. It always came off that way, like, we are so good and we have so much going on. But then what you saw was not at that level, right? And, and that was represented in their Kickstarters where they'd say, you know, we want a million and a half dollars. <laughs> right. And we're just going to give you something that maybe is not better than any other tool out there. Was that and really the goal? It was uh, something like that. It or, was a lot was of that money. hyperbole. It was it was really high like that though. I forget how high it was. Tremendously high. Oh, yeah, geez. I'll look it up. Uh, right I, I read four hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. That's that still what the first very Kickstarter was. High. It, it was something really extremely high, and and they didn't come anywhere close. And even on this last Kickstarter that they canceled, I think that was something. You know, I don't remember what it was, but it was it was a couple hundred thousand, I think, and then they had like twenty thousand, and so it was just you know really far off on their idea of what they were providing to the community, how it was being visualized, and, and then the money behind it. 
And they would do things like, you know, hold champagne parties on Kickstarter days. And it just seemed like, you know, like a dot-com era type of approach in the wrong market. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that's one of the things I think about missteps, right? This, uh, I just looked it up. It's a $425,000 Kickstarter was their first one. This was after their contract with Wizards was dropped. They were, you know, they were trying to create something that would use the Pathfinder SRD and and other third-party sort of products. And I think that maybe a lot of people were like, look, there's this already exists for Pathfinder. We've already got Lone Wolf's tools, Hero Lab, and stuff like that for Pathfinder. We don't need this for for Pathfinder is really what it felt like. Mm-hmm. And that Kickstarter did end up raising seventy four thousand dollars um you know which is a lot for a lot of other kickstarters but tech kickstarters i know are are different and everything so i think that is a a really good point there was definitely some things that were baffling and i remember checking it out at gen con i guess three gen cons ago two gen cons ago when 5e launched and it did feel like man there's there's not that much 5e to cover at the moment and while this looks great like it it was a good looking tool it did feel like where is everything you know it, it felt yeah. like it was only half there i totally agree um, the other thing they seem to suffer for just real quickly to add is is um that they themselves didn't know what they were doing and how to sell it so like with the wizards agreement you know we were being told hey this is a character builder and maybe it's a campaign management tool and then suddenly it became it felt like their main thrust was actually to be a content distributor mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. And and that kind of came out of nowhere all of a sudden that the the whole idea is we're going to sell your adventures and you're going to be like a freelancer selling your stuff through us and we'll take a cut and you know given what we now know about the guild right that could not have gone well, well and, and that was doomed then yeah and in business you know you can't you know I've had the I've had to learn this lesson the hard way but when you make an agreement with someone and you're not clear about what it is that you want out of it that's going to be doomed to fail right. Totally. It felt like that was always changing what they wanted out of the various agreements and forays they were doing. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I do remember, yeah, they were pushing that content platform huge. And then it was like, oh, but Wizards had been working on this other thing, uh, you know, the DMs Guild all along. So, um, yeah, yeah, I can only imagine that that was not helpful. Ryan, what about you? What do you think about Trapdoor Technologies closing their doors? So this actually was the the first time I'd heard of the company. So I tried to like do a little bit of research and um, yeah, ev- all of the information online sort of pointed them towards Kickstarter. I mean, I didn't even know that they had this uh, sort of failed attempt with uh, wizards before then. I mean, so, yeah, before Pit Pathfinder. So um, yeah, it looked like everything was sort of pointing towards the Pathfinder tool and I've never played Pathfinder before. So to me, it seemed like, you know, um, it didn't it didn't really register on my radar until you, you had mentioned we were going to talk about it. Generally, you know, commenting on what you guys have said already, the plethora of digital tools, whether that's iPad apps or desktop clients or online tools or whatever, um, for the Pathfinder system seems really robust. So the fact that they were trying to, like, enter a crowded market without a clear vision makes it seem pretty... You know, that, that's, that, that does seem, sound like a recipe for failure for sure. Yeah, it seemed like an attempt to save something that maybe wasn't in for the right thing, you know. Um, and Pathfinder was the only market that was going to come close to being big enough to supporting what they wanted to make. Uh, so I think they were in kind of a real catch-22. What do you think, Skylar? Uh, how, how do you feel about Trapdoor closing their, their doors? Man, um... You know, I don't have a, the little computer tool things. I've never really come close to using those. So maybe I'm part of their, their problem is that I'm just not out there consuming what they're looking to do. <laughs> that might be a good point that you're making those is, you know, sort of all of us, I think, are sort of saying that we're not hugely into these online tools. And I'm not. Um, and yeah. maybe sometimes they assume that because that's their space and of course there are people who use online tools heavily but that kind of that's the that, that, that it is an enormous market and you don't have to worry about the rest and maybe if they had worried about those folks uh, creating value proposition for people like us who, who don't use those tools so heavily and who like paper maybe it would have been different yeah and I looked at it a while god I don't remember 
what 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 edition was it that came with like a little CD, a little uh, third, CD third, thing? Three yeah. three oh third. third three, so that was like the closest I ever came to going more online, and then I didn't, uh, and then I haven't looked at it since <laughs> because that that wasn't very good. <laughs> well, and it's <laughs> well, funny. I know, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think uh, fourth edition definitely could use a, a fair amount of digital tools. You know, there were so many books that came out for that, so many character options, 7,000 magic items, 6,000 feats, that kind of thing, that it really helped to have all that organization in one place. With 5th edition, I, I really don't need as many digital tools, and I think that's a, another part of it. It's a simpler system. There's way less official content for it. Um, so, you know, you, you, you don't necessarily need a huge, robust series of virtual tools. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think that what we have now is, is getting pretty good. I would like to see some other things. You know, I would like some form of, of ebook or something like that, just so I don't have to carry them all with me. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, but, you know, for the most part, I think things are, things are going pretty good. Let's talk a little bit about, we're, we're going to shift to gears now. We certainly wish everybody at Trapdoor well. We're sorry to see you close your doors. And uh, if anybody out there has an opinion about Trapdoor, we'd love to hear it. Hit us up over at facebook.com slash the Tome Show or in the show notes for this episode at the Tome Show.com. Uh, we're going to move on and talk about an article from Kotaku entitled The Best Dungeons and Dragons Adventures Keep Things Simple. Uh, this article, uh, which is by Cecilia de Anastasio, um, she discusses the adventure Out of the Abyss and the adventure Storm King's Thunder and how they are different. She seems to say, like, look, what was going on in Out of the Abyss was really complicated. There were way too many things going on. And what is going on in Storm King's Thunder is a, a bit of a simpler plot. It's easier for me to follow. It's easier to get my players invested. Uh, so I wanted to talk about this article and use it sort of as a springboard to talk about really... What we think about adventures, uh, when is complex good, when is simple good, as far as our stories go, right? As far as our, our plots go, um, I think as DMs, one of the things that's really important to remember is you, probably no one cares about the story as much as you do, uh, especially all those hidden layers that you know about already, but your players may not yet know. Um, and that it's important to keep that in mind. Like, uh, you know, like it, your players need to understand what's going on and need to at least sort of have enough of an idea that they can formulate a plan about what they want to do, right? Um, so, I, I mean, in some ways, I definitely agree. Simpler can be better. But in other ways, I'm like, you know, juicy, complex plots are pretty fun. Uh, so I'm, I'm sort of mixed on this article. Uh, why don't we start with you, Dan, since you've been reading this for a while. Uh, what do you think? Uh, complex versus simple. When is it good to be complex? When is it good to be simple? So... You know, kind of like you hit on there, but both approaches have their time and their merit. Um, I, I disagree with the article's premise that Out of the Abyss was bad for all of the NPCs and layers that they have in there. Um, and, and this goes back to the thing, to the discussion I had with, uh, with Rich Howard about multiclassing. Even though I'm not necessarily going to use all of the options, I like having the options available. If I decide I'm going to do something maybe this session, maybe next session, maybe, you know, a month down the road, whatever, those things have to be in place. If they're not, then that's either more work for me, or it's just going to be bad when I try and implement something that doesn't have a foundation later. So I love all of these NPCs with their details and, and all of these little points of interaction that you can possibly have built into Out of the Abyss, because I want to have the option to leverage those either now or later. And... There is something to be said for simplicity, at least in how you reveal things, because you certainly can't do all of it in one session. That's just too much. Um, but I want it to be there. And if it's not there, I'm probably going to make up my own stuff to fill those gaps. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think there's probably a good balance to play, particularly uh, when you do have to fill maybe plot holes or that kind of thing, especially if you're running a, a published adventure. Sometimes there can be these things where your players want to know why did uh, why did Y happen when Z is going on or that sort of thing. And you're like, oh, I better 
this isn't covered in the book. I better come up with it, right? Um, right. What about you, Ryan? When is it good to be simple, and when is it good to be complicated? I think I agree mostly with what you know what you guys have said so far. If I buy an adventure, I like expect it to resource me to tell a good story, right? And I, I don't think that for me, having all of this information like necessarily means that I'm going to use it, right? Like, um, I, I don't, I'm not going to use everything that's in the book just in the way that it's laid out. And I, I understand that. I think some people want that. Some people want to be able to say, okay, here's a, B, C, D laid out, you know, as though you're playing an RPG through a novel, but that's not how I, how I look at published adventures. It's not how I use them. So it's not necessarily what I expect from them either. I think, you know, for me, in starting this campaign that I that I started a year ago, like the first probably six or seven sessions had the characters on pretty like tight constraints. Not not saying they couldn't go this way or that way, but I created like an urgency that required them to get from one place to the next to the next to the next. So that way they could develop sort of a, a bond as a party and all of these other things. And then finally, once they got to like the first major city settlement then i you know broke open the gate so just in terms of my own play style i think being a little simpler up front at the beginning to try and get an adventure rolling makes a lot more sense again that's a different that's a different thing from a gm's perspective and from the player's perspective uh and i think that's maybe that's where the article uh, lost me a little bit or or i just sort of diverged from her train of thought which is to say the players aren't the people who are reading these adventures, right? The players, I'm, I'm certainly not giving them to my players. As I'm reading through the adventures and I'm seeing, okay, this is what's happening next, and this is the, the NPCs that locate that are located in this area and all of these kinds of things, I'm also like filtering that through my GMing skills and styles and knowledge before it gets to the table and I present it to my players. Like, I think you have to rely on yourself as a GM um, in dealing with these resources, you have to rely on your own understanding of your players and of your game and of your table to to really make use of them effectively. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, and you know, that probably brings us to, like, is it more important to have simplicity in your own homebrew adventures, I think would be a, a good topic. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, what do you think, Teos? Uh, simplicity in adventures. Um, you know, you've, you've written a lot of adventures yourself. Do you think it's better to keep things simple or do you think it's okay to be a little more complex? So as, as a writer, I tend to be very complex. I always have these... Um it's sort of the the Indiana Jones school of thought where, you know, you take, uh, there's a drinking contest and there's the howling winds outside and it's snowing and then there's the Nazis and then there's the fire and then there's the romance twist. And, you know, it's just layer upon layer are released and it creates this super evocative scene if you can communicate it to the DM and the players clearly. Mm. And if you can't, it's just a bunch of noise and no one's having a good time. And I've probably written various shades of those you know, permutations. <laughs> uh, and, and part of the, you know, my life's adventure as a writer is trying to have that kind of compelling kind of complexity, that, that richness, but not have it, but have it be a cool, elegant feel, right? Where it just feels easy. And I definitely agree with this article. I, I think that these are problems of almost all the adventures, but I'd say it's a problem, you know, she kind of says Storm King's Thunder is great, and out of the abyss is bad. I'd say they both suffer from this. Um, Storm King has this intro portion to it, but the sort of the, you know, the one of the options is start right at chapter two at the level five, and you know, three paragraphs in, it's give out these NPCs, <laughs> and you're not running one character; you're running two characters. Right. <laughs> now, you know, talk about your DM prep and your player prep. And imagine a bunch of new people, right? And the first thing you're telling the DM is they're going to be running twice the number of characters. And hey, players, you're not just trying to figure out what you do. You're trying to figure out this other NPC, you know, and I'm sure it's a small card or whatever that I give you. It's in the appendix. But, uh, and, and there's a print version available on the Adventures League site. But still, you know, you've got to run this extra little dude. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's unnecessary. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's unnecessary to 
bad, you know, and I, it's a great adventure. All of these adventures are great. So it's not like I'm being, you know, super, but when it comes to, you know, what would we pick apart and say, this could perhaps be handled differently. I think that that idea of extreme PCs is awesome, mm -hmm. but it should be like in chapter four or something like that, right? Like once we've gotten our legs and for, we, we've got to keep in mind the new DM, the new players. And unless you're specifically writing for people who are further along, right? Like you're like writing a level nine adventure or something like that, then complexity is fine. You know, you can assume that probably those DMs and players are more established, um, especially if it's organized play. But for your, you know, these published books, yeah, it, it's it's too much. It it doesn't. It, I don't think that there are things benefit from that. Yeah, completely, completely agree that there are definitely some complex parts. And, you know, even within Storm King's Thunder, there's a mystery that is sort of happening that you don't even know is really a mystery until chapter 10. Um, so yeah. I think I think there are some some pieces that are certainly complex. And I do think you're, you're right. That chapter in particular, if you're going to jump in and start with that, I think is uh, is hard to do, um, especially because it's not just, hey, you're running an extra character character it's then hey you're running an extra character and they're gonna be fighting like 16 giants and a couple winter wolves at once you know <laughs> um they're these very complicated probably going to take multiple hour encounters that then you're jumping into uh so yeah yeah i totally agree uh skylar what about you um do you prefer your adventures simple or complex you told me before this started you have sort of a unique way of of thinking about and running adventures uh so i'm interested to hear that so yeah so when i'm running an adventuring campaign i, I usually I, I mostly use the same method for many years now uh and I, i'll usually run fairly longer term campaigns that go a year or two uh sometimes i'll do shorter ones but usually they end up going long so when i take an adventure some of them, you know, I'll run like a whole adventure, but when I do that, usually I end up adding and changing a bunch of stuff. And another thing that I do a lot of, and that why the, this may, this is maybe an argument for the complexity is a lot of times you'll just take like one character or one encounter, uh, out of an adventure that might be really good that you want to use, but maybe you can't use the whole thing for whatever reason and just do that. So I, I haven't, I, you know, I really wish I had read out of the abyss and uh, storm Kings thunder because I can't, I can't speak specifically to whether I like those or not. Cause I could like a very simple, like if, if you guys ever read dungeon magazine. Sure. Um, yeah. So one of my favorite features of those were their little sidetrack adventures, which were just like basically an encounter or a setup. And I really like those. And I guess those are pretty simple. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, sure. So I liked that cause that was very usable. But I also like the more complex ones where you have like all these, uh, characters in it and everything. So like right now I'm, I'm running, um, Dan said that I, I, that what I do is I take the <laughs> simple ones and turn them into the complex ones. He does. <laughs> he takes, so, he takes the beginning of storm King's thunder and makes it the first part of out of the abyss. <laughs> yeah. So I took, uh, so I, right now I'm running horde of the dragon queen. Uh, but I'm running horde of the dragon queen as a, as a Warhammer Blood Bowl team. <laughs> uh, and so I have like the whole, uh, so I added an entire cast of who all is on the Sterling Black Shields um, and like a little background for every single person on the, and the PCs are on the team, but then all the NPC ones. And so I like, I, I do, I like having like a couple dozen potential uh, characters running around. Not that you're necessarily going to talk to all of them. What I don't like in adventures though is when they add a bunch of stuff that there is no way for the PCs to ever find out about, mm. basically. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's not necessarily a fatal flaw, because you can you can add that if you want them to know about it. But sometimes, yeah, there'll be this whole there'll be this whole story to what this adventure is about that the PCs, as written, will not necessarily have any interaction with, and they'll just be like, you know, they'll just be like, there was some weird singing. We went out in the swamp. And then we got attacked by a troll. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think this is really a, a good platform to spring into some advice, uh, maybe for our, for our sort of final thoughts here, um, which is if you're designing an adventure uh, for your home game, it's your home group, right? Um, and you're thinking about not just an adventure, but the whole campaign in general, the whole story you want to tell. Um, how complicated do you think it's good to get? Let's say for a game that's going to run for a year or two. Do you guys like to get super complicated? Uh, or do you like to keep your story a little bit more simple? Or do you sort of let the players lead and you say like, oh, okay, these guys are running all over the place, so this is going to get pretty complicated and, and go from there. Uh, why don't we start with you, uh, Teos? So, uh, you know, I think you can go as complex as you want to get, mm-hmm. um, as long as you keep in mind your audience and how they're going to digest the information. So if you're adding layers to things or even drop several things at once, that's fine if it can be handled. And you've got to keep an eye out towards that. Like a mystery is a good example. You brought mysteries up earlier. Sometimes the mysteries are so awesome in our heads, but if it never kind of resolves properly it's a horrible mystery the players never have fun with it they want to feel smart and they want to solve it and sometimes things that seem really simple are actually great for players and they to them that was a mystery and they solved it and it was totally awesome and you're the best uh and you create some convoluted thing that has many you know steps and puzzles and riddles and talk to this person the other and they lose track of it you know, it's too much. And so, so I think that's that thing is keeping it, you, know, you can go as complex as you want, but it's how you feed that information so that the human brain can handle it and enjoy it. That, that's the that's the rub. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the same can be said about, you know, uh, dispensing your, your information, right? Do you, uh, like a lot of people, I think they, they lose track when you give these big info dumps. You know, you go to talk to the queen and she tells you everything about the history of the land that's going to, you know, as opposed to getting it sort of in more bite-sized uh chunks that are maybe delivered through gameplay right as a reward for yeah solving something or completing something you're way more likely to remember that so yeah I yeah agree. And, and, and that's that's totally the tip is that if if in doubt space it out right like like just a little at a time you'll you'll almost never go wrong if you approach it that way if you do just just you know let's do a part now see how they like it add another piece um there is a neat uh podcast um I forget which of the Pelgrane guys were talking about this, but but they were talking about how to do conspiracy type stuff mm, where you're mm-hmm. often completely in the dark as to what's truly going on. And they discussed this method where they were saying, I forget it was Robin Laws. I, I can't remember who was doing this, but they were saying that, you know, kind of, and shows do this and movies do this way, but where you, as soon as your players start to go, wait a minute, what's going on? You need to give them something. And then once they're on firm ground, you can give them a little uncertainty again, uh, but preferably around something new, so that they're never like they never lose track. The world never stops making sense, right? And progress is being made, and mysteries are unveiled. So it's just you know it's a little bit at a time, right? Right. Yeah. You don't want to be like lost and just have a yeah. bunch of questions, right? <laughs> uh, and then you have to make it that everybody is actually dead. Uh, yeah. So, spoilers. Uh, Wait, I do that with giants. <laughs> yeah, Dan, what about you? What, what do you think for, for home games, uh, going simple versus going complex? Do you have any thoughts or advice for the listeners on that? Well, piggybacking off of what Teo said, you have to know your audience. It's going to depend on who my players are and what they like. I know that there are certain of my friends that loathe puzzles. And so I would be So they less, are going to get to do puzzles. So they are going to sit around in a circle, frustrated. <laughs> they can't figure out that number puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, so I will be aware of, okay, this guy doesn't like doing puzzles because of these reasons. I either have to address those reasons or I have to be sparing with how many puzzles I put in. Or I just have to say, you know, suck it up, buttercup, and he's not going to have a good time during these. And you just you have to be aware of making those choices. I like complexity in a world building and in a story building standpoint. I like there being a lot of rich NPCs that you can interact with. Um, And I love throwing those options out to where 
uh, a lot of times the players will come up with, hey, let's go talk to this, um, you know, this this wizard that we saved from the lizard folk back in the third adventure. Remember her? And, it, you know, she said that she knew this guy. Maybe we can figure out a connection there. And sometimes I just kind of have to roll with that and go, okay, all right, what would she know? What has she been up to for eight levels, you know? But I like having those sorts of avenues available. And if I want to use them, then I can slip in either hints or clues or have that person show up with with whatever connection they need and, and kind of prompt them to make that make that leap or if they do it themselves sometimes that's even better i like i like having the ability to create those interconnections and you can't do that if all you have is npc a tells you to go to dungeon b and find artifact c right uh, I, I like having a rich web that they can pluck a bunch of strands on or not uh, sometimes as they choose. No, I, th- I think that's kind of a, a cool way to go. Definitely taking your group into account, I think, is a uh, is really important. Uh, Ryan, you are running your first D and D game uh, as you know, like you said, as a DM. Uh, what do you think about complexity and and complexity of a story? I know your your story kind of has a really cool mystery at the center of it. We've talked about that. Yeah, um, I I mean personally, I I love the the sort of political intrigue and trying to understand what's happening behind the scenes and like who the major power players are and and all of those kinds of things. Um, you know, relationships that are happening, quote unquote, off screen. I think are fascinating uh, and and sort of tracking from the evidence that you are given as a player. You know, tr- trying to like trace that evidence back to its source and. Where that where that information comes from and why like what caused this particular thing to happen um, that's like my very favorite thing to happen in role playing games as a player but also like you know I think that there's probably a reason why those of us in this conversation right now tend to all lean that way and also are all game masters on one <laughs> level or another you know what I mean I think I think that the people who gravitate towards GMing the games are more interested in the sort of story structure uh, that supports, you know, all of the experiences that the players are, are going to have. So, you know, there may be some like confirmation bias there. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I, I for sure have one player in my group who's like not at all interested in any of those kind of political things. You know what I mean? Like he, he, he come, you know, we, we had one session where, um, people were trying to, to figure out all of the things that were going on. And then there was a puzzle and like we played for three or four hours. And by the end of it, um, he was like, Are, would you guys be willing to like just hang out for 30 minutes and we could smash out one battle real quick. <laughs> and so like we just tagged on a, a battle to the end of the session because that's like, that was what he wanted to do. And he felt like he hadn't got his money's worth um, because we didn't, you know, whip out the axes and spells and stuff, um, <laughs> which is, which is totally fine. Like that's not that's not to say that it's better or worse. It's just like a personal preference. Um, so I think I would echo, you know, this idea that that people will repeat ad nauseum for game masters in general, which is to say, like, you have to know the people that you're playing with, and you have to like learn the things that they like and the things that they don't like. I will say that there's always like a this what I think is kind of a false tension between amount of time and effort spent preparing and also on the on the flip side this like ability to improvise in the middle of of a session and i don't think that those two things are really as at odds as people think um as long as you are willing to chuck the stuff that you prepared beforehand in the midst of (laughs) of a session or story you know like as long as you go go into a game with that in mind like i you can do lots of prep and you can you can improvise all at the same time and you can like work those things together. Like they don't have to, they don't have to cancel each other out. You know, you can spend time preparing NPCs who are doing really important things. Um, but the, the group decides to go to the other side of the continent. Well, if they didn't know beforehand, there's no reason why you can't also move that NPC to the other side of the continent so that they can interact with them. You know what I mean? Like there you um, go. Yes. You just have to like be willing to like, take the pieces of your story structure apart and, and put them into the story that the players are, are also helping you create. Um, so that, that's kind of my thing is like just trying to understand that we're, that all of the people around the table are making this story together, right? 
it's like you as a GM are not writing a story that the players are then playing. Like you're all writing a story together. So as a GM, you have to be willing to accept their input. But at the same time, like you have to be sort of defining the boundaries of the sandbox that, that the players are playing in. Otherwise, it's, there's no game at all, right? Like games and, and fun and all of these ways that we play rely very much on structure and rules. Otherwise, there's, like, you're just going to fight with each other uh, about what's appropriate and what's not. So I think that you do have a responsibility to have some structure and to do some prep and to like provide an interesting story. And to me, a lot of that comes through the complexity, right? A lot of that comes through like sitting down and working through what will be interesting and what will not be interesting and um, doing those kinds of that, that kind of self editing. Um, but at the same time, like I said, you're not the one who's writing the story. Like you collectively as a group of D and D players are, you know, or RPG players, whatever system you're using, like you're, you're making a story together and that collaboration requires that balance of like prep structure and also improv. Yeah, I could not agree more, and I love what you said about, you know, if you've prepped something and you end up not using it that night, you're going to be able to find a place to use it again somewhere else later, you know? Yeah. Um, that is so true, and I think people should know that, like, hey, if you do some prep and if your characters don't go towards the dungeon of dread that you've prepared, um, you know, eh, you can use it again. You're going to be able to use that dungeon again. Um, yeah, yeah, just because you prepared an encounter or a dungeon for them to go right, if they go left, they don't know it was supposed to be right. Turns out that dungeon was left, you know? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and what, what magic brings you there, you know? Um, yeah, so, could, could lead to even man, more fun. I probably, so as far as prep time goes, sometimes people talk about that. I have never find that there's any amount of preparation that is not helpful if you can do more that is kind of a more is better thing for me and probably when i'm running something i tend to if they were to go to the other side of the continent i probably do know who is there and what's going on there <laughs> um generally speaking uh <laughs> if they went to like a different continent if they like just strike out completely at random maybe not but like if it was a continent they already knew was there then i could probably handle that skylar you know we know kind of how you how you feel about complexity but what is some advice i think you have for people about turning up around the complexity i I do have some good advice for mysteries and for developing things like on a so if this applies to mysteries but then also for foreshadowing stuff and having events in your campaign that go well so you want people to be surprised, but you also want your campaign to make sense. And those two things are at odds with each other, right? Because um, things that make sense inherently aren't surprising. It's the sixth sense moment, right? Like you want everything that they have come across before to suddenly click into place when something is surprising, you know? Um, yeah. And that's a, that's a hard thing to pull off, I feel like. It is. So so something that I've, I have pretty good success with is you foreshadow events so they kind of know what's going on, they have a sense of what's going on in the campaign, or, or you know, you foreshadow, like, something to do with your mystery, and then when you get to the resolution part, you have it be exactly what you would expect it to be, but a little different. The best example I can give is that off the top of my head in the last campaign I was doing, they knew they were going to this like pirate Island. Right. And so when they got to the pirate, so I I forget how much run up was there where you knew you were going to the pirate Island eventually, but you hadn't actually got there yet. Um, I mean, it was basically the, the intro of one adventure. We, we got the hook for what we had to do. We knew we were going to a pirate stronghold, but we didn't know anything about it specifically. Yeah. So it's uh, been so foreshadowed, cool. they're going to a pirate city, then they get to the pirate city, and it was pretty much exactly what you expect a pirate city to be, but a little different. So it <laughs> but was not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so it came off pretty well, because they had a, it was a very bureaucratic pirate city full of... It, we we expected know. the pirate city at the beginning of Hook, 
right? Where everybody's just drunk and brawling and, and sprawled all over the place and nobody does crap until Hook comes out and, and whips them all into shape. What we got was a highly regimented, extremely like lawful pirate society with with very strict rules and everybody in their place. And yeah, not at all what we were expecting. But there was brawling. It was just in designated brawling areas. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and designated drunk areas too. <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah, like there, no, were there pirate was a- police patrolling and enforcing the pirate laws and and all <laughs> kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you had to chip in crew to be part of the pirate police force on your shift and everything. So so stuff like that. So that's one example and that that wasn't really a mystery or anything, but it's an example of you foreshadow something and then when they do it it makes sense because it was, you know, it was a pirate city and everything and it had pirates in it, but there was something that they wouldn't have expected there also. Sure. So that's my tip for people running, running games is for, for the stuff that happens to be stuff that the party expects, but still in some way unexpected. So it feels fresh. Well, that is a great tip. And I think that is probably a good place to wrap up this round table uh gentlemen thank you so much for joining me today uh, dan Dillon, where can people find you oh thanks for having me on again it's always a blast um so i'm on twitter twitter at dan underscore dylan underscore one uh and i'm on facebook just daniel.p.dylan and uh, i moderate on the fifth edition dungeons and dragons discussion group um <laughs> Uh, D- Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition is what it's called uh, and it's gotten huge it's over 30,000 members now and, and right. lots of people, lots of discussion Yeah, 36,600 just over just over that now yeah. so yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people there a lot of people, a lot of discussion, a lot of rules questions if you're a newbie and, and aren't sure what to do, there's a lot of people that are interested in helping you find your way and if you want to, since Dan is an admin if you want to get his attention, just post about Harambe and uh, don't have anything D and D related, and not sure get your post approved. Yes, that'll right. do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Ryan, where can people find you? Probably the best way is just on Twitter. I am at Whipstash on Twitter. That is like Whiplash and Mustache mixed together. <laughs> excellent, awesome. excellent. Yeah, and you can find Ryan doing all kinds of cool stuff there. He's also a great cartographer. Um, so people should definitely check out what you are doing, Ryan. Uh, Teos, where can people find you? On the Twitter at AlphaStream, and uh, my blog is alphastream.org. And odds are, uh, if you've played an adventure at a convention lately, uh, you wrote it or had something to do with it, would be my guess. That's so kind to say. Thank <laughs> you. I, I, I have enjoyed having uh, uh, some neat opportunities to write, and hopefully I'll get some more in the future. It's, it's a lot of fun. Well, they are well-deserved and uh, super great uh, stuff that you are, are putting out. So people should definitely uh, go to the DMs Guild and search your name as well, because they can find some awesome adventures uh under this gentleman's name um i i'm particularly a fan of adamantine chef uh <laughs> super great food fight mechanic in there um so <laughs> people should check that out uh skyler where can people find you uh so you can send me mail at 1411a handball lane indianapolis indiana 46260 <laughs> or if you want to call me my number is Two one zero five six three two five two three, and as a if, if this is being listened to by people in other countries, I think the United States <laughs> code number is one. Of course. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, but, I mean, it would make sense that we would be, right? Um, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> well, uh, well, thank you all so much for joining me on the roundtable today. Thanks for having us. It's great. Thanks. Always great to yeah, be here. Yeah, it was great. Thanks, thanks so much. All right, it is time for our DMs Guild pick of the episode. My pick for this week is Volo's Bag of Holding, 1,000 Trinkets, Baubles, and Curiosos Found in the Forgotten Realms and Beyond. Volo's Bag of Holding contains 1,000 new trinkets for your D&D game. It is $1. That 
is amazing. And I don't mean just normal little trinkets. There's all kinds of goodness. Mummified talon of the elephant bird, a small perfume vial containing dark dew, and a pirate's hat with a metal brooch, the seal of ship Kurth. Definitely check this out. It's by B. Raven Wright. You can use it to populate your adventure treasure hordes with all kinds of goodness and flavor. A lot of it pertains to the Forgotten Realms, which is where a lot of campaigns are being played these days. So check out Volo's Bag of Holding. There is a direct link to this product over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. All right, everybody, you can find me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the 5th edition D&D world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games over there. We're talking about all kinds of goodness, monsters, magic items, whole adventures, all available for free. Links to my DM Skilled products. So go check it out right now. Everybody, thank you for listening. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you are listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support this show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to the Roundtable.